Hello, everyone. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quants. Welcome to Business Casual, our weekly business podcast with my co-host, Maria Wickvilla and Caroline Diorti edwards Maria is the founder of Applicant Lab. Caroline is a co-founder of Fortuna Admissions and a former director of admissions at NCOD. As you all know, the round one application deadline for Harvard Business School is now passed. And a lot of the other round one deadlines will be kind of popping up like dominoes fall. So I wanted to ask Maria and Caroline, who have seen a number of applicants in round one at Harvard and are in the midst, frankly, of preparing clients for these other forthcoming application deadlines, what are they really seeing? You know, there is a lot of concern over whether or not this season would be among the most competitive application seasons ever for candidates to the elite schools, the M7 and beyond. And I wonder if, in fact, that's what they're seeing. Caroline? I think it is going to be very competitive. Yeah, we, we've definitely seen a big uptick in in interest in in clients working with us. So to us, all the indicators suggest that there's an increase in application volume. I think that for the for the top US schools, it's going to be particularly tight and especially for domestic candidates. So for international candidates, the picture is a bit more mixed because I also see international candidates who might in another year have applied to the US, but are now looking at more closely the international options because of some of the challenging dynamics in the US right now. And so I think, you know, that has, so that will increase volume even more dramatically, I think, for some of the international schools. So so for the international candidates, I think it's not, you know, perhaps not quite as challenging a picture if they're applying to the top US schools. But I think for some of the domestic candidates, it's going to be an incredibly tough season. And in terms of the quality of the applicants that you helped to apply to Harvard and are in the process of helping to apply to Wharton and other schools, what are you seeing in terms of actual quality? Yeah, I mean, fantastic profiles, great people applying. I, I would say that, you know, there's kind of two groups that we're seeing. So so there are the people who are applying and, you know, this has been sort of part of their plan for a long time. And it just happens to be that now is the right time for them to apply. And they they had planned you know, a year or two back that this would be when they would apply to business school. And it's just a little bit unfortunate that it happens to hit the most competitive season, but they would be applying now regardless of the dynamics of the market and what's going on, you know, economically with the pandemic and so on. It just, this is just the right time for them given where they are in their career. And then there are other people who are applying because they have been impacted by the crisis this year, and they might not otherwise have applied, but perhaps their career, you know, there has been impacted, perhaps they're not getting the the promotions or job opportunities that they might otherwise have expected. And so that they feel that might as well go back to graduate school because, you know, things aren't looking too bright otherwise. And so, so I do think there's those two groups. Uh, but yeah, in in both groups, fantastic people applying. I do feel a little bit sorry for the for the people in the first group because, <laughs> you know, it's not their fault that that they've they've sort of hit this particular timing. But if if now's the right time to apply, I think I think you should go ahead. Look, if you've got a strong profile, you just need to put extra effort into making sure that you know you shine on every element that you can, that you do well with your standardized tests as as well as possible that you prepare really well ahead of time. And I'm also encouraging candidates to 
you know, spread the nets a little bit wider than they might otherwise have done. Right. Maria, what are you seeing, particularly among the people you helped in round one at Harvard? Yeah, sure. I mean, so first of all, I think similar to Caroline, that the the volume of people has really been extraordinary, you know, so far ever since March, you know, the COVID stuff really started hitting the U.S. hard in, in, in March. It was just sort of like this whoop, like this uptick that I, you know, I've certainly never seen seen this much interest in the MBA program before. And so in terms of quality, I do think that there is there is overall a higher quality because I do think that many people who were otherwise quite content in their careers and having plenty of upward mobility opportunities are now seeing those opportunities either vanish or be diminished. And so, you know, because a lot of people don't really need business school. Some of the most successful people I know in my life in the business world do not have MBAs because they're they were rising stars the whole time and they were like I don't know I don't need to take 2 years off I'm just going to keep riding this <laughs> upward trend you right. know like I think Sheryl Sandberg once talked about companies that way like if you get on a rocket ship don't don't get off of the rocket ship stay on the rocket ship but so I think people who were previously on a rocket ship who wouldn't have applied otherwise are now suddenly like they're either getting laid off or furloughed or hiring freezes or salary freezes or salary cuts or what have you. And so I do think that people who would otherwise not have been interested, people who are very competitive, right? People who were not interested because they were so competitive that they didn't need the MBA. I think those people are entering the applicant pool this year. And I do think it's going to, in a noticeable way. And when we talk about quality, we're not merely talking about basic stats like your GPA or your GMAT. We're talking about everything from your work experience to whether or not you have been promoted, your achievements at work, your extracurriculars, you know, a holistic view of the candidate, right? Absolutely. I mean, for for me, I don't really measure, for me, GPA is, is almost, I don't want to say it's never important, but it's just, it, there's, there's w- such wild swings of variability in terms of GPA and intel. like, you know, we've talked about this before, where someone maybe was working full time or had a personal tragedy occur. And so, or, you know, someone was majoring in chemical engineering at MIT instead of in, you know, public relations at, you know, no name online degree mill university right and so and so you know a, a three five or a three three or a three oh is not they're not equal so for me it's 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 the, the, for me the academics are just sort of a hurdle you need to cross like can this person do the work are they going to struggle are they going to be miserable no they can do it great let's move on and from and from that point on for me compet- what makes a, com- a candidate really competitive is impact primarily in the workplace and then also along a secondary degree is impact either in the community or on their campus you know the campus when they were students and that can be measured oftentimes by things like promotions, uh, but sometimes it doesn't necessarily have to be. Maybe they can just be sort of people who have really, really moved mountains at work. Maybe they haven't been compensated for it, but the accomplishment is still there. And so for me, that's what makes someone really competitive. The other thing is there are two ways the pool can become competitive. And I think what's happening is both ways are making it more competitive. First off, the number of applicants likely going up based on both of your indications of more business based on our own traffic on our website, which is really soared and is at record levels in the 10 years that we've been in business. And by the early indications of schools that extended their deadline, I mean, you know, Wharton, which only extended by 14 days, the previous admission season had a 21% increase in apps. 
Columbia Business School, which had a relatively small extension as well, had an 18 plus percent increase in applications. Darden, which extended the longest period for a prominent school, had a 25 percent jump in applications. So to me, that all foretells of high volume. And then you have the other aspect of a more competitive season where the absolute quality of the candidates where they work, what their achievements are, what their numbers are, just who they are, what they want to accomplish is incredibly impressive. So I think you have both of these things working together this time. Uh, That's not always true. And in fact, even in the extended rounds, there's been a lot of talk that a lot of people rushed their applications to get it in. And there was some sloppiness and, you know, the quality actually wasn't really comparable to round one, round two. I think that's going to change now in this new admission season. So let me ask you a question that I think is kind of really interesting. How will schools deal with it? Will they simply have better candidates from which to pick and choose, or will they increase the size of their incoming classes for next year? Well, first of all, they may have to anticipate more variability in the yield, given the uncertainty in the market and job uncertainty, uncertainty as regards the format of the of the of the programs. They may want to make a few more offers, anticipating some some issues with yield, and as in the number of the percentage of the the candidates who actually accept that offer. You know, when, when there's a lot of in, in difficult times, yield is, is going to be more variable. And that's more of a sort of open question for them. So I think they may be making more offers because of that in any case. And, and that's also a reason to apply in round one, round two, rather than round three, because they will sort of compensate for making any errors in, the, in, in their estimate of the yield. If, you know, if they get, they've made too many offers or too few offers, then they will compensate that for that with the final round and, and the offers that they make at that stage. But otherwise, you know, I, I think they're going to have a challenging time in, in picking the best of the bunch. It's always a very difficult job and it, it's very painful often to have to turn down some amazing candidates who, you know, they would, they would love to accommodate in the class. Um, so I think they'll have a, a lot of those very difficult decisions to make. Schools don't always have a huge amount of flexibility to increase the class size, right? So maybe they will look to increase it a little bit, but there are constraints, physical constraints. They, they also don't know to what extent they may need to impose any social distancing measures. Right. Next year. I mean, hopefully not, right? Hopefully exactly. we will all have been vaccinated mm. and this will pretty much be um, behind us, but there's no guarantee, right? There's no vaccine That's out there true. yet. So, so with any you know that's something that they just need to keep in in mind that if they do bring in more students they have to be sure that they can accommodate everyone and and they don't know yet whether we will be back to normal or not and we know that harvard business school has already said that they very well may increase the size of their incoming class next year and even two years in they haven't gained official approval for that but they have openly discussed it and have put it out there in the marketplace. In Chad Losey's last blog post, in fact, he made that indication as well. We also have seen some schools that had extended their rounds in the last admission season increase their class size to actually at surprising levels. Wharton's incoming fall class is 60 students above the previous year, 
It's 916, which actually makes it larger than the Harvard Business School's incoming class, which of course shrank by a little over 200. Berkeley added to its class about 50 additional students this fall and is at a record enrollment, just as Wharton is. And there are rumors out there that some other schools may be increasing their class size as well. Maria, I think you heard something about Columbia. Yeah. So I do think that other schools, I mean, look, there's there's so many different factors at play here, but I do think other schools, especially ones that might not have classes that start all sort of in September or August, you know, I, I think Columbia is going to be increasing the number of people it accepts in its J term, which I think makes a lot of sense because first of all, it helps flatten out any variability that might happen in for the sort of August entry, but also to the extent that COVID has probably caused layoffs for people within the past couple months who may be currently unemployed, who are very strong candidates, but who may be currently unemployed and who are thinking to themselves, oh my gosh, even if I apply to business school now, I won't be starting for another 12 months, right? Why not apply now and then, you know, start start classes four months from today or three months from today? Um, right. So I do, I do think that, that that's really, really smart on their part, and it really helps them take advantage of their very unique and really cool J-term, J-term offering. So I really hope that a lot of candidates look into that and, and apply for that and take them up on that opportunity. Wouldn't NCAD, because of its two campuses, have a little more flexibility to bump up their um, entering classes? Yeah, yes, they may do. I mean, the other consideration is, of course, recruitment. So I, I wonder how delighted the careers teams are at the prospect of mm. increased class sizes with with just so, so much uncertainty right now in the recruitment market. So I do think INSEAD is looking at, at, at increasing the class size, and and you know they they do have some flexibility to do that given you know physical capacity across the two campuses. It would seem now would be a really good time to do it because, as you pointed out, the competition in the U.S. at the U.S. schools for international students seems to be less because there are fewer internationals who are willing to come to the United States, mm -hmm. given all the uncertainties, yeah. uh, meaning that they don't just disappear. They, they apply elsewhere, and NCAD, being the leading school in Europe, would be in a prime position to be a beneficiary of that trend. Yes. Yeah. But again, I mean, they have those social, right now they have, they have to take into account social distancing. And, and yes, so you right. know, we've, we've seen the photos, right, of uh, the classes that have started at business schools and, and, you know, how strictly they're enforcing these measures and distancing in the classroom. So that, that does limit the school's abilities, you know, given amphitheater size and so on, and the requirement to, to keep people six feet apart or two meters apart or whatever the local restrictions are. So, you know, I, I think schools will be somewhat hesitant in, in some cases to in increase that class size and also keeping in mind, you know, for a one-year program, people are entering the job market pretty quickly, right? They need to, you know, if you're doing a one-year program, you start that job search straight away. <laughs> it begins, you know, you begin working closely with the career services team pretty much from day one in preparing your job search. And so, Given the, the the uncertainty in the recruitment market, I think the the careers teams would be would be lobbying against increase in in, in student volume. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, huh? Of course, when one would hope that two years from now, a year from now, uh, there'll be a recovery. <laughs> there'll be a vaccine. There'll be therapeutics. We'll be looking at a slightly different environment. 
maybe more than slightly, hopefully, which would, you know, make it less troublesome to have a slightly, to have to place a, a larger class. Yes. I mean, so that's less of an issue for, for the two-year programs who are planning their classes. Yeah, now, for sure. definitely true. You know, I had an interesting discussion this morning with a person who was laid off from his job in February due to the pandemic and otherwise has had a you know fairly good track record. He's, he's applying to a number of schools this season, including Columbia, Wharton, Booth, and Michigan, and Yale, and Tuck. And he started in an investment banking boutique firm, uh, moved on to a private equity firm, ended up with a cannabis company uh, that laid him off because their access to capital was cut off when the pandemic hit. And what he chose to do is throw himself into a nonprofit, volunteer work while applying to business schools. And the, the organization that he applied to and worked with and is assuming greater and greater responsibility over is a, a nonprofit that basically takes leftover food from restaurants that would otherwise be wasted and, and distributes it to food shelters and the homeless. And I'm wondering from the two of you, both of whom have spoke about people who get laid off and are likely to apply, how do you use the time after you're laid off? And in, in the way you use the time, will it matter to an admissions committee? Maria? Uh, I mean, I think it absolutely matters. I mean, put yourself in the admissions committee's shoes. You don't have to be a you know, you don't you don't have to have massive ESP or you know be able to get into their brains to think that they're obviously going to prefer someone who has made the best of a hard situation and who is still trying to contribute something either professionally or in the community as opposed to someone who's just like watching Netflix and eating ice cream, right? Like on their couch. <laughs> like obviously, and not that there's anything wrong Although with nothing wrong with ice cream. There's nothing wrong with ice cream and Netflix. Cream. And in fairness, I also love Netflix and I love ice cream. But I'm just saying like that can't be the only thing that they've done. And so I think that that getting up and doing something else and making the most of a rough situation, I think it it demonstrates resilience. I think it demonstrates work ethic. So yeah, I definitely think that if you have been laid off and you know, try doing some sort of even if it's consulting, pro bono consulting, you know, in your previous field. So if you were a marketer and you got laid off, try doing some marketing maybe for a nonprofit or on a contractor basis. You know, but try to do do something. Uh, with, yeah. with Caroline, the time. you agree with yes. that, obviously. Yes. Right? And and you know, I remember reviewing applications at INSEAD during previous downturns, right? And, and you see, and, and the admissions committee is very forgiving, right? I mean, they, they, they're very empathetic. They understand it's not your fault if you lost your job in a crisis, right? Mm. Great people lose their jobs. It's, 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 um, they're not going to hold it against you. Mm. Um, but what they do want to see is, you know, how you've responded to that and, and how you're using your time. And, and, you know, there's a big difference, right, between what some candidates do versus others. And, whether they're binge watching Netflix or whether they're getting out there and, and, you know, seeing how they can be useful in the world. And I would say particularly at this time and, you know, something I've been telling clients and candidates is, you know, you need to anticipate questions from the schools about, you know, what have you done this year? How have you responded to this crisis, right? This is a, this is a sort of once in a lifetime, hopefully a once in a lifetime challenge that, that we're all facing and a once in a lifetime crisis that, you know, we, none of nobody alive has seen this kind of situation before. No. And 
Kellogg actually has a, a video question about this now, asking candidates, you know, what what have you done to respond to the pandemic or you know racial injustice, etc. And I, I think that's that's something that clients should and candidates should anticipate um, at an interview stage with a lot of business schools, right? Whether you're working or not, what have you done to step up to the challenge of today's world? And if you've been laid off, then you've got more time on your hands. That's a great opportunity to to use that time to do something, and you can perhaps build a great story about what you've done to 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 step up to this moment. I mean, in fact, so you know, some candidates may be able to turn that time to their advantage and actually even improve their candidacy. Yep. So here's what we conclude: there are going to be more applications. They're going to be coming from people who are as qualified as ever. And many of the applications may, in fact, come from people who've been laid off from their jobs. And if they do, they better be doing something that's good for the world because you you really need to demonstrate that you are not, a, you know, surfing the web, playing video games, watching Netflix movies, and eating ice cream on the couch. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> wrong with that. that is. <laughs> <laughs> it just can't be the only thing that you're doing. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> All right, Maria <laughs> and Caroline, thank you so much. This is John Byrne with Business Casual. Thanks for listening.